Hello, and welcome to DeaconCast, episode number two. I am your host and presenter, Deacon Bill. We start off today with something I call mass musings. They are small snippets of information, some obvious and some not so obvious, about what we as Catholics do or say during the Mass and why we do it or say it. Our Catholic faith and culture is deeply etched with symbols, traditions, and even a bit of mystery. Sometimes we just need to step back and take a look at what we do, mostly by rote or habit, and help us to grasp the significance of our prayers and actions. In this episode, I would like to spend a little time looking at the extraordinary and the ordinary forms of the Mass in the Latin Rite. It seems to be a good enough place to start and will give us some commonality of terms so that in the future we might understand our celebration in a richer way. During the Second Vatican Council, it was decided that the Mass would be more effective if it were said in the vernacular, that is, the language of the people who attended the Mass. It was an attempt to allow everyone who was present to fully and actively participate in the Mass. But we will explore that particular topic, the topic of full and active participation, in another episode. It's good to remember that for centuries the Mass was said universally in Latin. But by the middle of the 20th century, it had become common for the average Catholic to speak of hearing a Mass, as it was in a language that was not common and the priest was, for the most part, the only truly active participant in the Mass. Hearing the Mass was a pretty accurate description of what was going on. Today, we would be more accurate to say that we attended, or went to, or celebrated the Mass. To be honest, I think that when we came into the vernacular, we did lose something as a Catholic people. The mystery became less mysterious, the majesty became less majestic, but we also gained a few things that were worth the change. However, especially in the United States, it seems that we were in such a rush to get everything switched over that we may well have gone a bit overboard. The timing of the Council could not have been at a better or a worse time. It was a tumultuous point in our history, and some of the things that we tried to incorporate into the liturgy were somewhat knee-jerk reactions to some of the, our popular culture. Rather than expound on both the commendable and less worthy things that occurred in this first decade and a half after the closing of the Council, I will leave it at this. It was a learning experience in every respect. And while the Latin language mass was not entirely dismissed by the Council, the entire world seemed to embrace, and for the most part, fully receive the changes. Now this was facilitated uh, by Pope John uh, Pope Paul VI, sorry, uh, making the Mass in the vernacular the Nordis Norvis Ordo, that is the normal way of celebrating the Mass. 
The Latin language mass was left intact as the Tridentine mass. Now those two terms we're going to use a little bit in the future, so it's good to remember them again. The Norvus Odo, Ordo always refers to the, uh, the mass in the vernacular, and the Latin language mass will be referred to as the Tridentine mass. Now many bishops started to make it rather difficult, if not next to impossible, for the Tridentine mass to be said, and said well. Uh, a lot of this was because parishes uh, were in a bit of flux. Bishops didn't really know what to do to step in or to step back. Um, again, it was a very confusing time. Many parishes tore down the beautiful high altars and they eliminated the communion rails. And these were both aesthetically necessary to the Tridentine Mass as well as functional. Now over the last 10 to 12 years, the Norvus Odo, the ordinary form of the Mass, seems to have been getting some knocked around a bit in certain Catholic forums and traditionalist circles. Now I admit that some of their points are valid. I also understand that many people were thrown into a whirlwind of rapid change and they felt that the church had left them behind. In fact, the rapid changes were stage center in several schisms in the church. Pope John Paul II was instrumental in renewing the desire for the Tridentine Mass. He made it a more viable option for bishops in their diocese for its beauty, its deep connection to our traditions, and to our Catholic identity. It was also a bit of an olive branch that was offered to those people who felt that the only way to celebrate the Mass was in the Latin. Priests still needed permission of their bishop in order to say the Tridentine Mass, and some bishops were more open to this than others. Our current Pope went a step further. He elevated the uh, Tridentine Mass to the extraordinary form of the Mass, and he removed the need for a bishop's express permission, so long as the people wished to have the Mass said, and the priest is properly capable of saying it. Most of our active priests have never attended a Tridentine Mass, and they certainly were not taught to say it. Despite this, in many dioceses there have been parishes that have sprung up that are dedicated to saying the Tridentine Mass on a regular basis. There are even a few seminaries that are more heavily focused on the Tridentine form. Now what we sometimes hear from those who almost strictly attend the Tridentine Mass is that it is more reverent, richer, and in most every way better than the Norvus Ordo. However, there are many who embrace the ordinary form of the Mass and say similar things about the Latin language celebrations. I believe that our rich Catholic culture is now blessed with the ordinary and extraordinary forms. When we come back, I will introduce you to a saint that might not be very well known.
blessed assurance That Jesus is mine, my mine, mine Oh, what a foretaste A foretaste of glory divine Oh, yes I'm an heir to salvation Yes, I am I've been purchased by God So glad I am Born of His Spirit Get Spirit Oh, Lord just washing his blood This is my story Welcome back to Deacon Cast. As promised before the musical break, we are going to take a brief look at one of the more obscure saints of the church. Now one may ask, why would a saint become obscure? Well, most likely the reason would be that they are not universally venerated. 
for instance, certain Italian saints might be very popular in and around the areas that they worked and lived, but would not be very well known in, say, France. Another reason might be that as time moves on, newer, more relevant saints take the place of others, though I find it difficult to believe that any one of the saints could be irrelevant. We all have something to learn from them, as they have made it to heaven, which is our ultimate goal. Today's saint is Saint Adrian. Actually, uh, he is the first, chronologically, of many saints named Adrian. Now, according to legend, he was a pagan officer at the imperial court of Nicomedia. Impressed by the courage of a group of Christians who were being tortured, he declared himself a Christian and was imprisoned with them and suffered excruciating tortures before he was put to death. His young wife, Natalia, who was present at his death because she bribed her way into the prison, comforted him in his agony, recovered one of his severed hands, and took it to our, oh, I love these words, Argoropolis near Constantinople, where she fled to escape the inappropriate ambitions of an imperial officer who wished to marry her. She died there peacefully on December 1st. Adrian died in the year uh, 302, approximately. And interestingly enough, uh, he is the patron saint of butchers, and his feast day is celebrated on September 8th. Well, I hope you enjoyed this second episode of the Deacon Cast, and I hope to catch you back here listening to the next episode. In the meanwhile, peace be with you.